Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. We are finally back with another Call of Cthulhu Sario review. I'm your host, Nate, and I am joined with today... I'm the man from Lang, host of the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vaisodin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. In today's episode, we're going to finally be continuing our look through the Mansions of Madness scenario collection for Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition... And today we're going to be taking a look at the scenario, The Code. The scenario background centers around a former Miskatonic University physics professor, Dr. Kenneth Connolly. Through his understanding of advanced physics and his interest in the metaphysical, Connolly decided to take an early retirement to pursue his studies further. While out in Chicago a year back, Connolly met a woman named Lizzie Rowland, claiming to be an arcane scholar who could aid in his research. The two moved in together into Connolly's family mansion in upstate New York, and with her help, they had a functioning prototype of a time machine. The two quickly fell in love, but Lizzie was actually Eve Pierce, a minor sorceress and con artist. A few months later, Clint Davis, Eve's former partner in crime and ex-lover, shows up to the house looking to win Eve back and wanting in on whatever her grift is. The two weave a tale about them being siblings and her brother, David, being down on his luck and needing a place to stay. Connolly agrees, but became suspicious when he noticed David poking around the house and overhearing hushed arguments between the two. This resulted in Connolly adding a secret code to the time suit device and writing a letter to an entrusted friend with the secret password. When the day came to finally test the device, Connolly successfully jumped ten minutes into the future, and that was when Clint Davis shot Connolly dead, throwing the whole house into a strange time warp, or time loop. Furious, Pierce helped Davis bury Connolly in a shallow grave deep in the woods, and then they devised a way to get the suit operational once more. Pierce noticed Connolly sending out that letter a few days ago, and went through his address book, writing to all of those she thinks would be likely recipients of the code, inviting them to the manor the following Friday to witness the unveiling of his latest project. I don't know about you guys, but I like the setup. I like this idea of the the two NPCs kind of performing this long con on this scientist guy to get uh, to get this time machine device. I think that's a pretty neat setup. I agree. I like I like the idea of how the investigators got invited and you know one of them happens to have the code but no one knows who it is that's a that's a pretty cool way to start the the scenario yeah i like um another aspect that i like about this too is that the date and setting can be pretty flexible it is assumed that it takes place in 1925 in upstate new york but it really wouldn't require much effort to move it around should you wish yeah i mean it pretty much all takes place in the mansion the only 
reference to a particular year or time period is you know the player character's involvement with the with the professor or with the doctor the book does provide um some skills that it recommends that player characters have things like electrical repair mechanical repair uh physics spot hidden those those types of skills and i think that makes a lot of sense given that dr Connolly is a professor of physics yeah and it's nice to feel like you have a useful character in a scenario i like when scenarios do provide those guidelines i mean to some people it feels like a metagame thing and like cheating almost to say okay you want to be good at these certain skills but i don't think it's a cop-out i don't think it's like a metagame thing it's just to make the scenario more enjoyable so you don't feel useless that and i don't think dr Connolly is going to invite his you know his chef friend over to the unveiling of his time machine. You know, I, I think there you sort of have to uh, lend yourself to the story a bit. I think when you play a game like this. So as far as involving the investigators, um, the, the module recommends obviously that, you know, the players be acquainted with Dr. Connolly in some way, whether they're a former student or colleague or um, close friend, war buddy, something along those lines. I like it. I I think it's cool because most other Call of Cthulhu scenarios, you create your investigator separate from the other players. And sure, you can all kind of talk about it and and discuss whether your characters know each other. But this almost forces the players to add that part to their backstory, add the the fact that they know Dr. Connolly to their backstory. So it creates an interesting kind of intro dialogue when you're introducing your character it could be your characters all discussing how they how they all know dr Connolly because that's the one thing they all have in common so i think it it helps create a really interesting way to introduce the characters the the investigators into the scenario and everyone kind of discuss how they know and make up a story of some event or you know something that happened in the past with dr Connolly, why they became good friends or acquaintances or whatnot i i like that aspect of it yeah, I do too. It's nice to have a convenient way to tie the player characters together if they're not already. And if they are already tied in, then it becomes a lot easier to just say, oh, well, we know Dr. Connolly because our friend knows Dr. Connolly. So the main characters in the scenario itself are Eve Pierce, uh, who introduces herself as Lizzie Rowland to Dr. Connolly. And she is the, the con artist in uh, Sorcerer. Uh, so eventually through her occult studies, uh, she lost her mind and made a contract with Yogg-Sothoth, and she's looking to basically take the time machine for herself to gain some sort of power with it. And so her main objective throughout the whole scenario is to basically get access to the time machine and kill everyone else, including Davis. <laughs> um, so there's a few things with her. So... Her and then there's uh, Davis, who also takes on several um, identities throughout the scenario. It definitely adds complexity, just trying to keep track because she is three people. She has three different names in the scenario. She's Pierce, she's Lizzie, also known as Elizabeth, and she's Claire Whitley. So it's hard to keep track of it. And, um, you know, as she as things jump around. So you really have to kind of what I'd recommend running the scenario is write down the 
all the characters and who they also are just to kind of keep your your mind in check because it's easy to get distracted and be like wait a minute who's pierce again <laughs> and it happened to me while i was reading the scenario i'm like wait a minute pierce which one was that one and <laughs> i had to go back and go oh yeah that's that's uh connell that, that's elizabeth as you mentioned earlier vase the other main i would say npc of this scenario is davis himself uh who is the other con artist uh, slash ex-lover slash partner in crime to uh, to Pierce. And he's a bit of a brutish man who wants to help Eve, but kind of suspects that he's being used by her. And so he he's very much sort of a wild card in this scenario, I would feel. He can kind of act on, act on his own volition, and that can cause problems both for the player characters and for Pierce. Yeah, he has he has his own agenda, but he's also love struck to the point where he can make a stupid decision if he thinks that Lizzie is willing to uh, to take him back to you know if he can win her back. So it's it's an interesting dynamic that could be used against him by the investigators later on if they figure that out. But um, the best way to kind of think of him is you know you always see them in the movies or everyone kind of knows someone who is really smart and really has their head on straight. But then when it comes to the one girl, uh, they just lose it all and they become completely different and make stupid decisions. So that's kind of what Clint is. There's two other NPCs that the uh, player characters will meet when they first arrive to uh, Connolly's house. And that is Dr. uh, Seamus Quinn, who's a physics professor from Harvard, and uh, Diana Carlson, who is a, a graduate from Miskatonic and a former student of Connolly's. Now, these two NPCs uh, very much feel like the obligatory extra PC that you give to the player if their character dies for some reason during the one-shot. The scenario suggests that you could certainly make them into player characters by allocating some extra skill points and yada yada, which is fine. I would certainly recommend that keepers do that if they're going to run this. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend using them as uh, player characters. I would keep them as NPCs and make your characters make their own characters. Yeah, I got the impression that they were there simply to obfuscate the initial meeting between the, uh, the PCs and, uh, and Pierce and Davis. Because I think the initial letter sort of suggests there are two, there are two people involved. So I think if the players went to a house and there were two people there it would be very easy for them to jump to the conclusion that these are the two people we were warned to be careful about so by adding these two other npcs into the mix it's like okay now we're not entirely sure who's who so i felt they were introduced so the players wouldn't make the the obvious leap in logic from like oh Connolly warned us that two there are two people who are sketchy and you show up at his house and there are two people there who are kind of sketchy and it's just like, okay, well, we know who the sketchy people are. So by throwing in these other two people in there, that's it's like, okay, well, we don't know who these other two are. So kicking off the scenario itself, and as we kind of mentioned earlier, there is a letter that Connolly will send to one of the player characters and Eve will send she'll send a telegram posing as Dr. Connolly, inviting all of the player characters to the house. So there's this neat little aspect where one player character kind of has this extra side objective where they 
they're the ones that truly know what the code is and how they decide to deal with Connolly's letter can have some pretty interesting implications throughout the scenario. Uh, so I'd definitely recommend that you give the letter from Connolly to your strongest role player in your group, you know, simply because I feel like that would uh, that's going to be the best for the story if your strong player is kind of taking the lead in that aspect. Yeah, there are certain players that are really quiet for most scenarios. They kind of just roll the dice when it's their turn. Definitely don't give it to that person because, yeah, they. I agree with you. I think the the stronger role player would would make more use of it, make it more interesting. Yeah, and and let that player do what they wish with the letter because that will make a much more interesting scenario if they decide to hold on to it and they reveal that they have this letter from Connolly. Uh, that can escalate things very quickly if they're stupid enough to not heed his warning, which I do like. I like that there is that sort of level of agency in this scenario for the players to really impact the story. The next piece that the scenario discusses is a little kind of sidetrack before they actually arrive at the at the manor. They can stop at a nearby general store and talk to the owner and see what they can learn. And the, they can learn some minor side information about who's been at the house recently. And that can kind of tip them off, perhaps, that things aren't what they seem to be later on. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like this is sort of unnecessary, especially if I'm trying to run this in a single session. I feel like this kind of detracts at least a good maybe 10, 20 minutes from the scenario. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely has its use because the the player characters can then inquire about, if they're smart, like if they're smart players, they can inquire about the resonances or the people who are residents of the manor and kind of learn a little bit more about Davis or at least descriptions of Davis and um, uh, Lizzie. So I think it can serve that purpose. Uh, so the player characters don't go in blind into the meeting and just not know at all what's going on. So it really depends, I think, on your group, whether this is going to be useful or not. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised by, well, not surprised, but it sort of assumes that the the investigators are going to stop at this general store, but the the notes to the keeper sort of make it, uh, or remind the keeper not to really tell the PCs anything at this point, which seems sort of strange that you would create this encounter and then tell the keeper basically don't give them any information, which, if that's the case, why bother with the encounter in the first place? If the if the players can't learn anything really substantial out of it. But I think if you were trying to run it as a one-shot, you'd probably want to skip this, because like you said, it would chew up, could chew up potentially a lot of time. Yeah, and, and it's just the information that the players can learn is... Like like we said, kind of useful, but also really kind of not. And it's definitely not necessary by any means. So I, I probably would just cut it entirely if I was running this. But maybe if you're running this in two sessions, you do kind of want that juxtaposition between sort of normal everyday life and then the strange stuff that happens in the house later in the scenario. Yeah, and if you want to plunge them into the story right away, like having the the road trip to the house at the beginning... My tendency would be to just cut that out because it's the least interesting thing that happens. Yeah, I, I think the better start for the scenario is the player's arrival at Wellington Manor or Connolly's house. 
when the play when the players arrive, uh, they're greeted by Davis, who is impersonating Connolly's servant and groundskeeper, uh, William Fetter, who escorts them inside and has them wait in the drawing room with the other NPCs. So this is, I feel, the chance where you, as the keeper, let the players socialize a bit, introduce their characters, let them talk to the NPCs, and sort of you have your normal moments here rather than doing the whole thing with the gas station in the beginning. I feel like this is the better spot to really start the scenario. And it's here that you can give Whitley or uh, Pierce sort of this moment for her to coax the player characters into trusting her a bit before you kind of pull the rug out from underneath them. So this scene is definitely very important. I would give this the time it needs uh, before moving on to the next part of the scenario. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think I think definitely, uh, like you said, it's a good place for Pierce to integrate herself with the group. And I do like the idea of having that initial meeting be be kind of the way everyone introduces each other, gets to know each other. It is definitely, now that I'm hearing you guys say it, like, it is definitely a great place to start the, the scenario anyways, and the other part does seem a little more uh, <laughs> pointless. Again, unless you wanted to give the player characters the opportunity to ask information about what people look like, but they, most people probably wouldn't think to do that. But when you feel ready to move on, William will walk into the room looking concerned, uh, saying that he can't find Connolly anywhere in the house mentioning that he last saw Connolly in the library, and he asks the group to help track Connolly down in the house. It's at this point the player characters sort of have the agency to go where they want in the house, and the module, I think, sort of assumes that the player characters are going to go to the library first, as that's the next section in the book. Uh, but it's definitely possible that they could split up and take points and go to different sections in the house. And I think if they're going to do that, you want to make sure that Claire is with one group and William is with another group because the NPCs are, you know, they're looking to get the player characters to do what they want and then eliminate them. So they're always going to want to have eyes on them. So make sure that you're doing that as a keeper, but try not to make it too obvious at first. Let the players sort of discover that that's what's going on. Let them figure out, oh, these people are a little too curious about what we're doing. It can easily turn into uh, a pretty obvious involvement if you if you try if you push too hard with the two characters. You definitely want to balance it so that it's a little bit of a mystery as to what's going on for for a bit, and then kind of get a little more pushy and persuasive with those two characters. One thing that I had in my notes, too, is that if the players do split up, there's kind of two major events that go on once they start their search. Uh, the, the first is if they go to the library, they can find all of uh, Connolly's notes and the actual time machine itself. Uh, but before we get into that, there's the other piece, which is the players started looking around the house and they have these uh, temporal anomalies uh, that kind of scale in severity as the scenario kind of takes its toll on the players and these range from you know hearing footsteps around the corner to full-on time loops which is and isn't interesting i think for some people time travel is a very interesting subject and can be difficult to kind of plan around i think as a keeper and the module definitely tries to give you 
tools on how to deal with that. There's a section in the book called Time Travel. Yeah. Um, can we get to the to the time travel section in our thoughts? Because I have so many thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. That's. I wanted to mention it now before uh, going into the scenario, because time travel is very much the focus of this scenario and the story of the scenario. So it's important to mention it now. So these temporal anomalies are going on as the investigators search around the house, and there will be at some point they go to the library, either at the suggestion of William or at some point during their investigation. And it's there they find all of Connolly's notes about the time machine. Uh, they see the time machine itself. And the important piece that they really... There's two things that they need to learn from here. One, that the device uh, has a piece missing. And two, that Con Connolly's notes describe sort of these weird effects going on in the house and it should signal to the players that okay there's these weird events going on and they're based around the time suit and there's a missing piece of this suit where that piece is the players need to uncover and that's sort of the mystery quote-unquote of the scenario is well where is this missing piece and uh where like how do we find it and where is Connolly? and yeah, one of the ways they can find out is actually through conversations with Connolly <laughs> when a temporal anomaly occurs and they get to speak with Connolly from the past. So that that's one of the many ways they can uncover where this missing piece is. Yeah, the house has three floors and an attic to it. And there's some, some grounds outside that looked pretty unkempt. So the players kind of have, quote unquote, free reign. But if at any point the players try to leave the house, uh, they'll quickly discover that someone has sabotaged their vehicle. And if they try to leave on foot, then Davis and Pierce, you know, they lift the mask off and they'll go to chase and capture them. I personally always hate these sort of contrived things, but at least in this case, there's a real grounded explanation as to what happened. And the players could reasonably go and find the components and fix their vehicle, which is nice that they at least give you a reason. Whereas in some of these scenarios that we've read, it's just, oh, the players are stuck in this dimension because there's an invisible wall around the house kind of a thing, which is, yeah, which I, I think most people don't like. But at least in this case, it feels believable. You know, William goes out while the players are in the drawing room and he sabotages the vehicles and he ends up stuffing the, the components in some old paint cans in the laundry room. So the players can go downstairs and find them should they should they wish so like vase mentioned uh in their investigation of the house they'll probably go into Connolly's bedroom and that's where they can have an encounter with Connolly months prior to their arrival at the house and, and it's here that the time paradox stuff goes all out of whack there's a journal that the players can potentially find and where that journal is depends on what happens in this conversation with Connolly. And this opens up a huge can of worms that I feel like we should probably discuss now. I frankly don't care for this this handout, this journal handout. With the whole time paradox situation going on, there's just too many variables to account for in a handout like this to be handwritten. And the length of it is, I feel, a little egregious for a one-shot. Uh, it's, it's nearly four pages long. You know, a lot of the stuff requires the keeper to edit it 
based on the events of the scenario. And if you're running this as a one shot, when are you going to have time to do that? Yeah, it's like you said, four pages is way too long. I, you know how I feel about handouts, especially long handouts. In my experience, uh, running plenty of role playing games, the minute you hand the player a player a handout, everything stops. I think a summary would have worked better, saying, "Hey, you found this journal and summarize it." Okay, detail several days where he starts to get suspicious of Pierce or whatever Lizzie and uh, and then her brother. He starts to suspect that he's not really her brother. End of story. Summarize it and then keep moving on. There's no point in reading, having someone read through four pages of this thing. And then the other element, <laughs> the other element, which is having to change it based on what the players do. Yeah, no, I know, man, from like before we started recording, that was one of your big gripes with this scenario. So I'm curious what you think. I was trying to decide whether it was written for an, a very experienced keeper because I feel as though it puts a lot of pressure on the keeper to basically sort of roll with what the investigators are doing and then modifying the scenario on the fly as to account for the investigators' actions. And I think that's, you know, the scenario is basically saying, okay, the investigators are going to do a bunch of stuff and then you're going to modify this journal to reflect what has happened. And like you've already said, if you're playing a one-shot, you don't have time to do this. You're not going to be sitting at a table, you know, modifying this document according to what the the players have done. I mean, we've all been in that situation where the players don't do anything that you expect. So while the scenario has been generous enough to provide, I think it's three different versions of the journal, it's entirely possible that none of those versions of the journal are valid in the end, which puts the the keeper in this very awkward position because if the investigators don't bring it up themselves, Connolly is supposed to bring it up that, hey, I have this journal, I will help you find it. So... The investigators know there is a journal to find, but you have nothing for them in the end. Whereas I think, like you said, Vase, a summary of the points would have been better because then you can simply, it's easier to add a point at that point rather than have to go into this four-page document and be like, okay, well, what was said and what wasn't said and trying to modify it on the fly. Like, that's just a huge... That's a lot of overhead for a keeper to handle, especially when you've got you've already got two NPCs who are basically three different characters and then another two NPCs on top of that. Like that's that's a lot to ask of a of a keeper. I think what they're going for is that wow factor. If it works, so like if if the player characters tell Davis this this and that and you have the right journal entry for it, I could see it playing out in a way where you like hand it to him. They're like, whoa, how did they know we were going to tell them that? But the f- but that happening, like you said, man, from Lang, it's so rare. Player char- Players are notorious for doing what you don't expect them to do. <laughs> and so the chances of that happening, sure, it may happen once out of 100 games where the player characters or the players are like, whoa, I can't believe it. They actually have a printed journal saying, we told them this. How did they know we were going to tell them this? Okay, cool. 
but the chance of that happening is so low. And like you said, managing, you know, three different things plus two characters or three different characters each plus two other NPCs, it, it is too much. It is too much. And then there's the time travel factor, which we'll get to, <laughs> which adds another layer of complexity. Yeah, see, this this sort of leads me to to my broader issues with the scenario as it is written is that it sort of makes a lot of assumptions about how the investigators are going to behave, which I think is problematic, especially considering so much of this is really relying on the keeper to sort of roll with the punches, because I think we've all been there as, you know, whether you're running a game like Call of Cthulhu or Dungeons and Dragons, where the PCs will focus on the thing that has absolutely no relevance to the story to the exclusion of everything else. And this scenario sort of lays out a bunch of clues that are really quite subtle. And I could easily see, you know, the the investigators, say, walking into the library and being like, these curtains are significant. And then the keeper's like, oh, crap. You know, now they're going to focus on these curtains to the exclusion of everything else. And then you've somehow got to bring them back around. You know, there's it's just the, the there's a bunch of assumptions about how the PCs are going to act in this case that sort of rub me the wrong way that that I think just add to sort of the overhead that the the keeper is has got to deal with and that's why I sort of suggest that it's this is not really a good scenario if you're new a new keeper I think you need some experience under your belt before you run this one to your point that actually was a really good point regarding players attaching themselves to insignificant things when the scenario is throwing things that are completely insignificant for no reason for example the appearance of the chalix um for those who don't know nate what are the chalix the chalix are basically a they're a race of future like very far off future insect people basically they act as like a silent observer to these weird time anomalies which their involvement seems strange to me because they don't do anything they're they're not like active in the scenario at all so it it question it begs the question to me like why bring them up at all especially because there's no satisfying payoff or way for the players to learn what these weird insect people they saw are or what they're doing they appear and they don't do anything and it's like man from lane said What's going to happen is player characters are going to be like, these are the things that are causing these anomalies. And they're going to go off and try to figure out what's going on with these Chalix <laughs> when they literally have nothing to do with anything. Like, why throw them in there? Yeah, there's another there's another time anomaly where a wolf appears. Like, I can see I can see investigators just latching onto that and being like, what is the symbolism of this wolf? What does the wolf mean? And you're just like, the wolf is meaningless. <laughs> it's just a wolf. You know, move on. And to add to the complexity and just craziness of this, can we talk about time travel? I, I think now is certainly the time. The scenario gives you a little uh, sidebar regarding time travel. And because it is a big part of the story and it is a tricky thing to manage. 
but I feel like the scenario suffers from not committing to a certain how time time travel works. You know, in this within the scenario, you can watch a movie where time travel works one way, like say the movie Twelve Monkeys for those who have seen that movie, or you can watch a movie where time travel works completely differently. I mean, it's. It, it really depends on the rules that were set up within the universe. This scenario doesn't commit to any particular rule. And the sidebar that's trying to be helpful actually becomes more confusing because it's telling you, you can deal with it this way, where if one player talks to, kills an ant, that killing of that ant might affect the entire future, who becomes president, who, you know, whether the character's even born and all this stuff. Or you can deal with it in terms of the character kills the ant but now that's a whole different timeline and doesn't affect their current timeline it's interesting that they explain that because that is an issue with time with anything that has to do with time travel which way are you going to go in terms of how is time travel affected i wish the scenario would be more strict and say okay time travel works this way in this scenario boom 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 but they don't do that and so now it's up to the keeper to decide okay if the player characters talk to Connolly, how, how does that affect the future how does that affect their current timeline and so it, it makes it far more complex in dealing with it and then they throw that letter situation in there which makes it even more complicated yeah i when i read the sidebar i got the impression that it was basically like time travel in this scenario follows the rule of cool do whatever is the coolest don't get too in the weeds about paradoxes and stuff like this. Just sort of roll with it. While that might be good advice to the keeper, the players don't have that information. You know, if you're playing a game like Call of Cthulhu, you probably have some theories about how time travel works. And I could see this leading to some conflict between the keeper and the players as they try to hash out how the like you said vase how the rules of time travel work in this particular scenario and i and i think it would be an it would have been better just to say okay here's how it works enforce these rules and go with it so that so it's clear to the players after say the first time first couple time anomalies this is how things are going to operate and then they can work within that system rather than just be like, okay, well, this happened once, and then it's happening a different way this time, and then the players get confused, and things break down at that point. Some people, it ruins the enjoyment of the scenario completely, like you said. Like, it, it'll ruin the entire thing for them if you if you aren't consistent. I, I have a couple of players that are like that. They're very, like, intelligent, and if things don't make sense to them, and it feels like you're just making things up as you go along immediately they'll shut down and i know there are plenty of players that play role-playing games that are that are like that you know it just will ruin their enjoyment and it'd be one thing if it wasn't such a critical aspect of the scenario but it it, it is the whole scenario is this meeting with Connolly, and what I, I would assume is sort of supposed to be the the end of act two start of act three is this meeting with Connolly, right it's like this whole meeting has these really big implications about the rest of the scenario and the information that the players can uncover, like if they can even uncover the truth about Whitley and uh, William at this point, like, is that something they're going to be able to discover? I don't know. It's not really clear. And I think to some end too, I find it a little disappointing that the players don't really have a goal, so to speak. Like, I, I remember reading this a couple of times and being like, well, what the hell are the players even supposed to 
do. The book doesn't say that like the time anomalies stop with the use of the suit or anything like that. So I think that's really my biggest gripe with this scenario is that it's not clear on what the players are supposed to do. Like they just kind of walk around the house and that's it. I assume like what what the author is going for is that the players either decide if they're going to destroy the suit or if they're going to keep the suit and potentially use it. And then there's a little piece that says like if the players decide to keep the keep the suit then they're essentially out of the campaign forever. It's like then why did we play this scenario like it it doesn't make it very clear what the keeper is supposed to kind of lead the scenario to. See, I got the impression that that I agree like there's no real goal for the players. Like it's just like so are we supposed to find the the box that makes the suit work? That's not clear. Are we supposed to find Connolly? You know, that seems to be sort of the initial motivation, but it seems to be more motivated by what the two villains want. The problem I, I see with that is, is that, again, that really depends on what the players do. And the initial letter to the to the player about the suit basically says, don't tell anybody about the suit or the code for the suit. And so if the players don't tell anybody about the code for the suit, the villains don't get what they want, and you sort of end up in this stalemate where the villains can't advance what they want to do and the players really have no purpose in the house. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm just not sure where it's supposed to go. I think like you said earlier, Man from Lang, this module, I think, really assumes the Keeper is going to do all of the heavy lifting when it comes to the structure of the story. Like, it's cool in that you get to customize the scenario to your liking, and... If you're into that time travel stuff and you make the you make the rules clear to your players ahead of time, then I think that can work out great. But man, does it require so much work to get off the ground. I just don't really feel that it's worth it. I think for me, when I read this, there are some really cool ideas that I want to use, but I'm not looking to necessarily run this as written, if that makes sense. No, like when I sit down and read a scenario like this, I'm always thinking like, okay, how would I run this? With previous scenarios that we reviewed, it's clear to me after a reading, okay, this is this is how I would do it. And even other scenarios in the book, one of which I have run, I read it and I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it and what changes I would make and stuff like that. And with this one, I read it once, I read it twice, I thought about different ways of of structuring it and it just it gave me a headache honestly <laughs> the whole time travel angle just by the end i was like my head was spinning and if like my head is spinning as the as the keeper i can't imagine what the the players are going to have to deal with i think we've we failed to mention it up until this point but the way that the players actually uh, can repair the time suit is by finding the missing component that's up in the attic. Eve Pierce has um, summoned a being to guard uh, the device or guard the component. If things don't go her way, she can uh, summon this thing and just kill the players outright. I feel like something like that is probably fine in a one-shot for the most part, 
especially if your players are okay with the idea of death and you can pull it off in a dramatic way that makes it feel fulfilling. But in an existing campaign, I, I think something like this would be really difficult to pull off unless Connolly is some sort of recurring character in your campaign. I don't know. What do you guys think? I would never run this as part of a campaign. I mean, the fact that they basically spell it out in the to the keeper, like if the if the investigators take the time suit, they're removed from the campaign. That to me means it shouldn't be run as part of a campaign because, I mean, you're giving the players this cool thing and then saying, oh, by the way, you're if you if you take the cool thing, you're done. Which is, I think that's a very bad way of going about it yeah it it, i feel like it'd be less bad if the scenario was clear to the players like okay you have to destroy this thing and if destroying the time machine was beneficial to the players in some aspect then it might feel worth it like maybe like destroying the time machine releases Connolly's mind or something like that like maybe Connolly kind of has this like Voldemort type experience where since Davis shot him while he was wearing the suit in time, like his mind got like trapped in time or something. And you have to like find a way to get his mind back. Like something like that might be, I think a clearer explanation as to why the players need to destroy the device. And that would feel, I feel much more satisfying to the players. Like, okay, we need to find the missing piece to this device, unlock it, and free our friend's mind from the temporal void. Like, that that feels satisfying, at least to me anyway. Yeah, or just limit what it can do. Like, the way they set it up, and I know they briefly mention it, like, oh, maybe you can say that there's a limit to how many times it can be done or whatever, but commit to it. Like, I don't know, I feel like the scenario... It's so laissez-faire about everything. It's like, well, maybe you could do this or maybe you could do that. Like, the the scenario would be much stronger if they would commit to one thing. This is how time travel works. This is how this device works or it needs to be destroyed or it's limited. Instead of just saying, maybe it could be this or maybe it could be that or maybe it could be this. Like, when you give so many options like that and you don't commit, it affects the rest of the writing of the scenario because you got to account for all these other ways that someone else can choose to run it if you give them the option to and that's what creates these problematic situations where someone if they keep the time travel machine the campaign's over like that's that is terrible like that's not something that should ever be written in a one-shot scenario that you're going to insert into a campaign just for a fun week you know or something like that (laughs) it seems like we're all kind of down on this scenario but if if a person was interested in running this you know what would your guys' major tips be? I think for me, it's make it clear to the players they need to do something with the suit, whether it's destroy it or bring it back somewhere. Like maybe they're a part of some agency and they need to like bring the suit back for for research purposes. In whatever case you want to do it, you, you need to give the players a clear goal when they're in the house because the scenario does not provide one whatsoever. If you're going to run it, make sure that you set a clear goal, maybe not right from the beginning, but once things start to develop, make it clear to the players that this is your goal. That'll, that'll go a very long way. Yeah. I, I agree with you there that the, that the investigators really need something 
to focus on. The way that scenario is structured, it seems to be like, okay, investigators show up at house, investigators do some investigating, and eventually their goal seems to be to reveal to reveal the con artists, at which point there's a fight. And the time suit just sort of seems to be extraneous to that. Like the con artists want the time suit. The PCs don't even know the time suit exists when they arrive there. So they sort of eventually find out the true identities of the con artists and confront them, at which point there's a battle between the two of them. But the way the scenario is structured and a lot of advice that is given to the Keeper is that these con artists are so good at being con artists that none of the traditional ways of finding out that they would be con artists work. So, like, you can't make psychology rolls against them. Like, you can, but the Keepers basically says, oh, you have a vague suspicion they're not telling you the truth. That's about all they find out. And then the time, I think, when you could actually find out that that uh, Pierce is pretending to be somebody else, you have to make an extreme spot-hidden roll, or you notice she slips out of the room conveniently. <laughs> like, like, it just seems the way it's set up is that, you know, the, the scenario is doing its damnedest to make sure that the PCs don't find out about the, the con artists. Which, I mean, makes sense from the perspective of the con artist, but... This is an investigative game. You want the players to figure that stuff out. Yeah, and that's that's why I have a lot of problems with a lot of the clues, because some of them are just so subtle that, for example, there's, there is a bathroom that has some spots of hair dye on the floor. I can see, like, if you're throwing wolves and aliens at the players, a couple of specks of dye on the floor are not going to interest them compared to, like, the big stuff or like the alien entity in the attic or the other alien entities like it it's just like compared to that the clues that the con artists are con artists are just so vague and not in your face that i could just see players that just going right over their heads so the 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 investigators are sort of going through this house and it just feels like at a certain point the keeper is supposed to say okay Pierce isn't going to get what she wants, which is the code to the time machine, so she attacks at some point. That's that sort of seem that's when after reading it that's the sense I got that you just sort of do time anomaly stuff until Pierce basically decides, well, I I'm not going to get what I want and so let's kill everybody, which okay. <laughs> as much as I like the whole background and the story, the intrigue behind that, like you said, there's just not a great way for the players to find out unless they're, one, really observant, and two, they make good roles. And that, to me, always sours my taste on on stuff like that. I feel like it's better to have players find the clues and then piece them together and let them act upon the clues rather than the whole thing being about finding the clues themselves. You put in your notes how the player characters get involved. I do think that is a strong point of the scenario. So to, you know, reinforce a little of the positives of it, um, that is one of the ideas that I, that you mentioned that keepers can certainly use. I really like how that was done. That was, that was well done for sure. Yeah. The setup is very good. I think that that works out really well. It's not a, you know, a wholly unique 
set up, but it works well in this scenario. The story kind of mentions like, oh, you could use this as a launching pad for a larger campaign, and I think that would take a lot of work on the Keeper's End to do that, which, you know, maybe you want to do, and that's that's great. The flexibility of the scenario certainly lends itself to going in one direction or the other, like maybe you could have it be more about the, the Chalix and the players need to kind of figure out what their intentions are, or maybe you go more into the Pierce and Davis aspect and maybe they get away and the players are sort of tasked with finding Davis and finding Pierce and kind of ends up being this like manhunt kind of campaign and that might be fun, but I feel like this scenario just really takes too much effort, at least for for my liking, for a one-shot. And the other aspect that I think is complicated as well is if you want to run this in multiple sessions, then you're really asking your players to remember a lot of minute details. And that that I always find to be hit or miss. Yeah, I think my my conclusion after reading the scenario is that it it's, like I said, it's really asking the keeper to do a lot of work. To me, like a one-shot, the amount of preparation time required to sort of, okay, you've got to decide how time travel works, so you're going to be somewhat consistent. And I think while it requires a lot of preparation on the Keeper's part, I don't think the scenario does a very good job of helping the Keeper with some of those questions. For example, like the way the uh, the encounter in the library is structured. The clues aren't in one spot. Like there's sort of a, a long section, and when you're reading it, there's a long section about what the, the, the investigators find. And then there's a keeper note at the bottom that says, oh, and they find a schematic for the code box, which is to me, like, that's the motivation, right? That's if, if you're looking to give the players a goal, the code box is the thing. So why isn't that at the top? Whereas the, the description of it is just like, oh, they find a messy desk with a bunch of papers on it about the time machine. As a keeper, I found that frustrating. I'm, I'm with you, Nate, on the uh, fact that it's, it's probably best to try and keep it into one session so that all these little things that you have to remember and that players have to remember don't get forgotten between sessions. So definitely, if you're able to do this in one session, that's, I think, how it's going to work best, which means you'd have to cut out a, a little bit of the fat from the scenario, trim it down, tighten it up. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of work. Like Man from Lang said, it's going to take a lot of work because you're going to have to tighten it up on your own. That's going to do it for this episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. If you like the content and you want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash thegreatoldonesgaming. If you want to check out our other reviews of the scenarios in the Mansions of Madness and the module itself, there will be a link in the show notes of this episode. But without any further ado, I've been your host, Nate, and with me today was... I'm the man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. And I'm Innkeeper Vaisodin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And we will see you all in our next review.